Democracy, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. If you would turn into your Bibles to Luke, the seventh chapter, we're going to read from verse 11 to 17. Luke chapter 7, verses 11 to 17. And if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Reading from the New King James Version. Now it happened the day after that, he, that's Jesus, went into a city called Nan. And many of his disciples went with them and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all of Judea and all the surrounding regions. Heavenly Father, we ask that this morning you would open the ears and eyes of our heart that we may see and hear you more clearly. We ask this in Jesus' name. And the body of Christ says, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I've entitled this message, It's Time to Wake Up. It's Time to Wake Up. How many of you have kids? Ooh, good. How many know that morning time is not the great time for you, right, parents? Whenever I go to Krista Maliga's house early in the morning, I have the routine of waking the kids up for school. And maybe, as most parents have experienced, you're greeted with interesting looks. Every time I say, Krista Maliga, it's time to wake up, or in laughing, it's Krista Liga like Celsius, which means it's time to wake up. I get this look from both kids as though they can kill me with their eyes, if they could. And they give me this look, mumble something and laughing, and then put the covers back over their heads and try to go back to sleep, you know. But how many know that ain't going to work? In fact, growing up in my family, you didn't dare do that with my mom because she'll get the whip and you get out of bed pretty quick, you know. And so, uh, and I've been blessed to, to be a part of this family now for five years. In fact, that's pretty much one of the main reasons why that three-month mission trip has turned into five years because being placed in Krista Benliga and Marcus' life, I realized I just can't leave them. Their biological fathers already did that already to them. I can't do that, especially when they literally latched on to me and started calling me dad. And I thought, I can't do that. I cannot do that to them. And then in the last five years, to watch Krista Benliga turn into young adults. I mean, Krista, it's weird that he's a young adult in the making. And to watch him be a wild boy into a fine gentleman. It just blows my mind, you know. Anyway, well, in this morning's gospel reading, we come to the, this part in the gospel reading where Jesus is walking, and they're coming to the village of Nan. About five years ago, I went 
to Israel with Kara Chapel of the Fingers League. I was actually a guest worship leader for the tour, and our tour guide took us to uh, to the area of the village of Nan and says, I want you to picture this, the funeral of this widow's son. Now, how many of us have been to funerals? How many know American funerals are pretty somber, kind of quiet? He goes, now, imagine this. This is Middle East. Here comes a crowd of people. <laughs> Woke you up, did I? <laughs> yeah, time to wake up. You would hear that a mile away. So imagine, you're Jesus in this crowd, and you hear that commotion as a crowd of people are making that noise as this widow is burying her one and only son. And Jesus sees this. And the Bible says, Luke says, and Jesus was filled with compassion for her and goes up to her and says, woman, do not weep. Have you ever thought, what a thing to say at a funeral? Do not weep, really? But do you realize that when the Lord speaks his word, the timing of his word is always perfect, even though to us it might not make sense at that moment in time? How many of you ever experienced that? You've read God's word or heard God's word, and you're like, really? Are you sure? It doesn't seem like it fits the situation, Lord. But it did. And the thing is, you know, the word of God says that the Lord is near to those who are broken in heart. Do you realize that he's near to those here in this room whose heart might be broken right now? That he's near you. That as he has compassion on that woman, he has compassion for you whose hearts are broken or torn over whatever it is that's torn it up right now. He's concerned about you. Understand that back in Bible time, women were considered property. They didn't have rights like we have today. You see, a woman's husband took care of her. If the husband died, then it fell on his, their, their son. The son was responsible to take care of the mom. But notice when Luke stresses this widow lost her only son. He's stressing the point. No husband and now no son. She lost everything. She lost her security. She lost her income. Her world has been dramatically changed. How many can relate to that? Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you've lost, you know, life's gone this way, and all of a sudden something came up, and you're looking at, oh my gosh, what now? Because I, I wonder what she was thinking as she is bearing her one and only son. I have heard that for a parent to lose a child, it is the most unbearable thing for a parent to go through. Because human reason says that the parent's supposed to go first, not the child. So again, I can't even grasp what this woman's feeling. She lost her husband and now her son. Do you not think she's brokenhearted by this time? You know, maybe you are going through something different, but to you, your heart is just as broken. But here's good words for you. He is near to those whose heart is broken, who are crushed in spirit. He is near to those. He has compassion. 
Our Lord is compassionate. Remember, this is God in the flesh. Emmanuel, God is with us. God is with you. This is Jesus who is displaying the heart of God to this woman. And he goes to her and says, do not weep. You know, the Lord says to some of you, not only do not weep, but do not worry. I know what you need. My Father in heaven already knows what you need. Look at the birds outside. Have you ever seen them stress in the food line? No, he takes care of even the ravens, which in Hebrew culture were undefiled animals, undefiled animals, and yet he takes care of them. And you are more important than they are. So don't worry, but instead seek first the kingdom of God. Seek me first, and everything else will fall into place. Maybe for those who have no sense of direction of what they're good where they're going in life, God's word for you is, come, follow me. Learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. God's word does not go out void. So he speaks his word to this woman. He speaks with compassion. You know, it's interesting, when God's word speaks to us, it does several things. First, God's word is going to offend us. How many know that? It's going to offend us at first. Because God's word is truth, and the truth, well, sometimes we may not like to hear it. God's word will shine in our hearts and will show us he's holy and we're not. There is a problem here. So God's word will first offend us before it can mend us. Because once we acknowledge, you're right, I'm wrong, let's get this taken care of, then he begins to mend our hearts. So God's words will first offend before it mends God's word will correct us. God's word will challenge us. God's word will comfort us. And God's word will conform us to his son, Jesus Christ. How many know that this, when you read this, with the spirit guiding you, it really speaks to your heart? Amen? Amen. It just leaps out at you. So here is Jesus Christ, the very word of God in the flesh, speaking to this woman. And then he goes to her son, touches him, and says, young man, it's time to arise. Actually, I like another version. The New Living Translation says, young man, he said, I tell you, get up. That's kind of more to the point. You know, there's something that came came to my attention years ago. This man is one of three people that we know about that Jesus brought back to life. There is this man, Jairus' daughter, and Lazarus. And every time Jesus brought someone back to life, he always said their name or referred to them. Young man, I say to you. Little girl, I say to you. Lazarus, come forth. Have you ever pondered or considered that if he ever said just arise or get up, that every dead person would have risen up from the grave. I'm not joking. I heard this once as a a young teenager from a pastor. If Jesus was just to say arise without naming the person, every dead person would have risen up from the grave. And why not? For even Jesus reminded Mary and Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will not die, though they perish, they shall live. 
He is the resurrection and life. In fact, Jesus would even say in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, that in the last day the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. Some will rise to eternal life and some will rise and be judged and be separate eternally from God. You know, it's interesting, in seminary, they, in some denominations, they like to explain away miracles, how they didn't happen, they couldn't happen. Let's be real, it, that's fairy tale. In fact, I heard about one seminary professor that was flown down to, I believe it's Latin America, to this group of young pastors in training, and his wife was a scientist, and he would explain intelligently, scientifically, how the miracles of Jesus could not, did not happen. He was shocked as his whole classroom got up and left him. The principal came in and says, I thought you were a Christian. Well, I am a Christian. I have a PhD and ADHD and all this behind my name, you know, blah, blah, blah. He goes, well, why are you saying that these didn't happen, these miracles didn't happen? Well, let's be real here, blah, blah, blah. And he begins to go on, and the principal goes, I'm sorry, then your God's too small. Because the God that we teach about is a God of this Bible who is still doing the very thing he did here, is doing now here. You see, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. Amen? Because how many know if he changed, we're lost? I believe in miracles. I have more doubts, but I believe in miracles. And I found myself recently in a situation where I had to believe God's word. For those who know me and followed me on Facebook, this particular trip I've been on, I'm on a 16-week, 38 engagement tour in America. And it has been, I've nicknamed this tour the unexpected tour because I've had so many unexpected things happen to me on this trip. The most recent thing was the back window of my car as I'm driving to Cincinnati. The whole back window was sucked out as I'm driving. I'm not joking. I mean, I'm driving and I hear the air coming into the car. I'm thinking, where is that coming from? And I look in the rear from mirror and I see the back window moving. I'm like, and all of a sudden, you know, and I'm watching the, in the rear view window as the back window is spinning in the air and comes crashing on the freeway. And I'm like, I'm going to stop and do what? Pick up glass, you know? And, I'm, and, I, and I get out of the car and the rubber, everything's removed. It's like no window was pulled in there. And so those who've been following me, uh, that car, it's a miracle car, really. But when I got to America on July 27th, Literally, stepping off the plane in Detroit, waiting for my plane to Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, and waiting in line to go through the customs, I get a text from a friend here in New Jersey. You need to call me right away. And I text him and says, anytime you contact me, it's never good news. You know, he calls back, he contacts me back, now. So I call him and I said, what's wrong? Your best friend is in ICU. He went in today in ICU. He's on life support, and he's not going to make it. You need to get to Toledo, Ohio. I, right then and there, thought, I am not going to react. I'm not going to let this hit me. I can't. I cannot 
because if it hits me now, I will not function this whole trip. So I fly to Indianapolis. I get another call from another friend who also knows his friend and says, it's really, really bad. They, they don't think he's going to make it. Uh, you need to come now. So I dropped up my stuff in Indianapolis, get in my car before it had its problems, and drove to Toledo, got there the next day, walked in into the ICU room, and there was my friend. I've never seen so many machines hooked up to this person before. Found out that his kidneys failed, and he was also on dialysis, and the nurses were saying his vital organs, all his life organs, they're, they're failing. He's, you know, uh, he's been unconscious for five hours. They found him unconscious for five hours. He landed on his arm, and uh, he coded four times before he got to the hospital. He had no oxygen for 30 minutes. If he even comes out of this, you're looking at a vegetable, but you know, it's super grim. Literally, the machines are keeping him alive right now. And I remember I walked up to him and began to feel him, and he was cold as ice. And as I felt him, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, he's already dead. These machines are just keeping the thing going, but he's dead. He's gone. And, um, but I remember, I'm not going to lose it. I can't lose it until we know exactly what the doctor says and everything. So everyone leaves the room, and I'm there with my friend. And I've never experienced a situation like this and you know all of a sudden memories come back of you and of this loved one you know you know what we did together and all the adventures we've had and and again I'm trying everything I can not to even cry because I thought I cannot lose it until I the doctor says this is the final re results I, I just can't even though they're telling us get ready to do a funeral you know by the end of the week and so I remember leaning down to his ear level, and I just started singing worship songs. Open the eyes of my heart, hear him to worship. God, I wonder, I still remember the songs. And I stood up, and I remember just feeling his arm, just, just ice cold. And then the Lord brought to my mind Jairus' daughter. And I'm looking at my friend, I said, Lord, I have more doubts than faith. I seriously don't have the faith to believe that you can bring him back because he's gone. Nevertheless. How many heard that in the Bible? Nevertheless. So I put my hand on his cold right hand. And I wasn't going to do a big Benny Hinn scene, you know. Because uh, I, I didn't even have the faith for that. I mean, I, I literally, I, I had this much faith. My doubt was bigger than my faith. I'm being dead honest with you. Nevertheless. So put my hand on his right hand. And I was just going to simply say, in Jesus' name, my friend, it's time to get up. But as I spoke, it came out in Latvian, which threw me off. Jesu vada monstragi like Celsius. And I said it as though I was trying to wake up one of my children. 
point. Didn't think I was getting emotional. I said it again. Yeshivara, Mantragi, like Celsius. And I said it one more time, as though I was trying to wake up a child. Yeshivara, Mantragi, like Celsius. At that, in my mind, I saw the tabernacle, the ten of meetings, where Moses would meet God in the wilderness. And whenever God came to visit Moses, he descended in the cloud. How many know that? The glory cloud. So in my mind, I saw this tabernacle in the wilderness, and I remember seeing this white cloud spinning and then descending down into the tabernacle. And as, as soon as I saw it descending, I remember it was like I put my finger in a socket, which I did before, so I remember I know how that feels. As a child, ADHD, we're just creative. Does this really happen? You know? And... Um, and uh, as that image was happening, my hand was getting burning, was burning hot. And I remember just feeling this go right through me. And it was so strong, I thought, I'm going to faint. Because I was starting getting really dizzy. And it just, it just, it, like a, just a wave just went right through me to my hand. And I was doing one of this thing. And then it stopped. And, uh, I took my hand off and looked at my friend and I said, okay, that was weird, and left. Waiting in the waiting room, because we were waiting for the doctor's report about his brain scan and all that. The nurse comes out, her eyes bulging big, and she goes, your friend, he's trying to get up. He's waking up. What? He's waking up. He's fighting with the nurses. It takes four nurses to keep him down. So we run to the room, and sure enough, he's trying to pull the tube out of his mouth, and he's, you know, wrestling with the doctors. And, you know, they're saying, oh, these are involuntary movements. I said, this is not involuntary, you know. And so he's overwhelmed, so I go up to him, put my hand on his chest, and I say, my friend, peace be still. My friend looks at me, goes back out, you know. So anytime the nurse begins to talk, he, gets, he starts to react again. And the machines go wacko, and I did the same thing. Finally, the nurse says, um, could you stay in here for a bit? Uh, we have to adjust the bed, and it seems like anytime we make a noise, he reacts. But you seem to calm him down. So I did. Finally, his family came in to see him, and they heard that he was waking up. But when they came in, he was out. And so, again, the commotion began, and all of a sudden he began to react, and they're freaking out, like, is this involuntary? Is this real? And so I walked up to him, put my hand on him, and I said, I speak peace over you. And then, clunk. And his brother looks at me and goes, oh, my blankety-blank-blank, we have our own Jesus Christ in this room, you know. And I looked at him and says, no, I'm not Jesus, but yes, he's in this room. And once I said that, and these were all biker dudes, they all took a step back, you know, and, and they were like just stunned, didn't say a word. So uh, because he landed in his arm, they were worried that he wouldn't have any function in his arm because five hours, they cut the blood circulation, and they were saying, you know, we might have to amputate his arm. You know, he had strokes along the way, blah, blah, blah. You know, he, he, he's in for a long rehab, you know. Well, you know, when God does something, he doesn't leave it half done. And uh, this was July 27th, 
by the second week of August, he was out of the hospital, walking, talking normally. Let's give the Lord a praise. Now, I can vouch for this because Pastor Paul actually knows this friend of mine that I'm talking about. So it's not, it's not some made-up story, because believe me, I hate those stories that are made up. I mean, this really happened. When he talks, you cannot tell that he had no oxygen for 30 minutes. I mean, after six minutes, that's it. You know, you're looking at having special needs, you know. Uh, he walks normally. Uh, he can play the guitar. Uh, and it was interesting, I, I saw him uh, a month and a half ago in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. And he said, you know, I was in heaven. And, you know, I can't even describe it to you. But I heard you. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He goes, you said something. I, I heard your voice. Because as soon as you said something, this hand came on my head. And, you know, and, and I woke up, you know. Um, what's funny now, he's bald, but on his head, it's, there's two spots that no hair grows. And it looks like a handprint, you know. And he, he's like, he goes, it's like, that's where the hand was. That's where the hand landed. I said, well, I didn't put my hand on your head, you know. He goes, no, God did, because he sent me back, you know, and I'm mad at you, because uh, it was peaceful up there, you know. <laughs> Sorry, it wasn't your time, you know. But I say this because we serve a living, miracle-working God, amen? You know, he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and I'm already past my time, and closes it really quickly. But he's still raising people from the dead spiritually, Paul says, awake, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. You see, there are some of you in this sanctuary that have been here Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday. You've heard the word of God go in one ear, and it goes out the other ear. But like my kids, when I say it's time to wake up, you make a face to the Lord, and you put a cover over your heart and try to go back to sleep. But the Word of God says, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. If He's speaking to you today, listen. Be open. Wake up. For some of you, maybe you and the Lord are not where you want to be. Well, first of all, it wasn't Him that moved. Something might have come between your heart and heaven's flow. The Lord wants to remove it so that that flow can be back in your life again. For some of you, you might have been dragged to church. You have no idea what I'm talking about. Well, here's the message for you. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only some that whoever, doesn't matter where you come from, what you've done, what you are, Whoever believes on him will not die, will not perish, will not be separated eternally from God, but will have everlasting life. And that life begins now. You see, when we get saved, when we have salvation, it's not something in the future. It begins now. We awaken now. We become born again. 
we wake up from the dead. See, all of us have been brought back from the dead. You see, Scripture tells us that at one time we were dead in our sins and trespasses. And God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And those of us who've turned to Christ have been brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. But yet there's some of you that prefer to stay in the darkness. I have a word of warning for you. Today, if you hear his heart, do not harden your heart. If you hear his heart, his voice, don't harden your heart. It will only lead to trouble that you cannot deal with. It's time to wake up. And church, it's time to wake up and ask the Lord to pour out revival in our land. You know, I've been in America for almost 16 weeks. It's not the America I left five years ago. I literally look at it like, wow, it's changed so much, but not for the good. Right has become wrong. Wrong has become right. And we're supposed to be okay with it. You know, we talk about the persecuted church in Asia and in Europe, and I'm looking at in many ways, we're now starting to get persecuted too because we stand on what God says, not what psychology has said, not what the Kardashians say or whatever, you know. You know, we have to stand firm on God's word. And that might mean to go against the tide. But you know what? There are many people who are in darkness and they need to come into the light. It's time for us to wake up those people who are sleeping, isn't it? So let's pray the Lord wake us up first to righteousness and holiness for him, and that the Lord would just use us to go out there and share the gospel. You know, my three kids, ooh, boy. They didn't know the Lord. They knew about him. They didn't know him. And, you know, I didn't go there and shove Bible verses down their throats and, you know, says, learn this or you can't eat or something, you know. I just live, I just live Christ in everyday action because I realized for them, you know, shoving Bible verses they never heard wouldn't make sense to them. I had to live it. So imagine my shock when my oldest Chris Ops came to me and says, you know that Jesus guy we hear about at Bible camp? I said, yeah. You act so much like him. And that was the highest compliment I ever got. I close with this. Non-believers may never read this Bible. Well, maybe not this one because it's mine. They never read the Bible, <laughs> but they will read our lives. So what pages are we showing them? Amen? Let's stand up. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. 
We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.